Welcome back, everybody, to the Beat Pack Podcast, your go-to show for upcoming artists and creatives. I'm your host, Nathan, aka Locomoco. Whether you're on your morning commute or we're just playing in the background, I appreciate you tuning in. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's guest. We have an extremely special guest on the pod today. He's an entrepreneur and the CEO of two companies in the transportation industry. When I first embarked on this journey of making a career in the music industry, He's easily been one of my biggest supporters from the start, and he has quite literally known me from the day I was born. Everybody, please welcome my dad. Hey. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hey, dad. Hey, dad. Thanks so much for being on. Um, you know, I was really struggling with trying to figure out a good way to end off um, this first season of Beat Pack. You know, it's been an amazing season. Thank you to all the guests and everyone that's ever listened. Um, but I think this is going to be a little bit of a different kind of episode as you guys know, we typically interview um, upcoming artists and creatives, but I think a big part of the industry and music in general is not only the creative side, but even more importantly, the business side. And I think that's where a lot of people fall short, and a lot of creatives fall short, is when it comes to making a business out of their art. And that's why um, you know, my dad, successful entrepreneur, started two companies. Um, so he's going to be here to spill some of his wisdom and some of his education on um on just the on the business side of really anything so anything you want to do really how to start it pretty much right is that a good way to summarize it no that's great yeah so first thanks nathan for having me on your podcast yeah i don't consider myself very artistic i do have a lot of family that's very talented but it absolutely skipped me and i'm glad it went to you <laughs> <laughs> no, i'm grateful too um and as well, for anyone listening, if you've ever been a guest on my podcast, my dad listens to every single show, so he pretty much knows all the structure, everything that we go through. So I feel like this is going to be a pretty seamless interview as far as the flow of things like that. So really excited to get into it. Yeah. And so I'm always in awe of art, like music, dance, paintings, and movies, and really how art can just transcend beyond race, religion, genders. It unifies, it divides it could probably go all across the universe and have just this understanding. And so I think it's really important part of human nature. And, but really the most important part is actually developed by individuals. Like as an individual, That's very true. right? You are the one creating that art. And I think if you want to do it for fun and as a hobby, you can do it. But if you want to make money off of it and, and make it like part of your career, then you got to treat it like a business. So yeah, yes. I think that's one of the biggest downfalls and one of the biggest things that scares people at first, because when they look at it as a hobby, when people start doing music and art as a hobby, it starts off just as something that they want to do, something that they're very interested in, something that they do um, when they're not working. But once you transcend or once you go from it being just something that you want to do to now something you have to do as a business, because there's definitely days where I'm, I'm sure a lot of people can re- relate that creatives don't want to work on their art. And that can be a really big turnoff for a lot of people. And so, um, but besides that, I think that um, regardless, there's a lot of people that are very dedicated artists and that may are really talented in the art space, but may not have the right guidance as far as the business side. And so that's really what today's episode is for. All right, dad. So um, let's get started. So, you know, I'm a first generation American. Um, My dad is from the Philippines um, and he immigrated to the United States when he was very, very young, right? So um, why don't you give us a little bit of your background, Dad, just so um, the audience can have a good idea of who they're listening to right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I grew up in Chicago, but my parents, um, they immigrated here from the Philippines in 1972. 
So I was like a one, one and a half, two years old. Um, but like all immigrants back then, you're starting from scratch, right? So you have to figure out how you fit in, how to get a job. You know, at that point, my parents had two kids, two boys. I have an older brother at that point. And it was struggle, right? So I'm pretty sure my parents just had to figure it out, you know, and take care of us. Um, but they were educated, right? So my my mom had a, a college degree. My dad's actually a doctor. He was the the lead surgeon of a hospital, you know, very, very well known as being just one of a really, really great surgeon. So when he left all that to come to Chicago and start a new life, um, it's something that I reflected back, you know, when I was older. But to do that, to not what, you know, what's going to happen, but just to have this, this, this vision and this mission and this dream that your kids will just have a better life because he basically gave up a very successful life to come here. And so for that, my dad, uh, Nate, your granddad, mm. you know, will never forget what he had to do to sacrifice. So Definitely a huge sacrifice. I mean, he left pretty much all of his family that lived in the States and was really the first one of your bloodline, really, right? Or your entire family to really come to the States and set he up He started shop. it all, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. is insane. Yeah. Now, as a... As someone that did was educated, like Lola was, was education and um, ambition like that instilled within you guys at a young age? Yes, yeah, so that was, right, we're talking in the 70s, 80s. It was the only thing kids really had is, is they were taught that got to go through high school, got to get an education at a college, and then now you have your job. And that was it. There was really no path. You couldn't just decide to be a creative really easily back then because there was just no there was no support there was no infrastructure there was no way to do it it was very hard to get in it was very closed so that was the path and yeah so you know I went and luckily for me school was was pretty easy I liked the math and science and so I went to uh, four-year university NIU and graduated as an electrical engineer and so yeah that was my, 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 my brother did it my sister did it so Again, back then, that was expected. That was the road, right? That was the road. Yeah, yeah definitely back then, um, yeah, a creative journey was never possible. It was always, you know, it was always like you have your day job or you have your career and then you have your hobbies. and then that, But that was always something that you never really pursued fully, right? Yeah, it's just never really entered my mind. Even starting up a company back then was really was pretty big. Pretty big, yeah. yeah. Got you. That's crazy. It's crazy how things have changed, you know, 40 40 years later. People like, would um, retire 50, 60 years from big companies, get their pension and move on, right? So it's like, it was never, yeah, we live in a different, different era today. Yeah, we're, yeah there's a lot more opportunity, yeah. which is fantastic. Oh, which is really good. Yeah. Now, just uh, any off some of your early beginnings, what were some of your early interests and passions, uh, education-wise, maybe just outside of that as well? So most of my, I, I just remember, like the sport that I liked was basketball, you know, and I, I played that as much as I could. Um, now it's really golf, but I didn't really golf until later in my life. Right. Um, and besides, if, if it wasn't that, it was more just really, you know, typical nerd stuff, just like engineering and learning yeah. all about yeah. science. Yeah. Really, that's really was my life. But it's really cool, though, like even though like early on in your life, that was something that you were still super interested in engineering. And then now you can see yourself still doing that kind of stuff today. Uh, absolutely. I I just knew that math and science was something that was just something that you can unlock. It wasn't something you would invent. It was, a, you would discover it. And I thought that was just 
an amazing, you know, right. uh, field to stay in. Oh, for sure. That's awesome, Dad. Okay, so um, NIU graduated for your degree in mechanical and electrical, right? No, just electrical. Just electrical? Okay, good. Just electrical engineering. Um, and then you went through um, a few different jobs or a couple different jobs until you started your company. So you worked at Motorola and then you also were in consulting, right? Yeah, so a couple of thoughts behind that, if you don't mind. So yep. I'm just going through, because you know, obviously I have kids trying to apply, you know, yep. your sister. Yeah. And one of the things that I only applied to one college. <laughs> Everyone here applies it to dozens. I applied to one. Yeah. I thought I had all the credentials. It was the toughest engineering school in the country at that University point. University of Chicago, right? University of Illinois, Illinois. aerospace. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to work for NASA. Jeez. And so I um, had the credentials, uh, but unfortunately got on the waiting list and then was eventually turned down and you know automatically enrolled at UIC. That wasn't going to do it for me. Uh, I wanted uh, something else. And so I, I ended up uh, applying late. They opened it up for me to NIU. And what I, the point I want to get here is even though my, my path I thought was going through a very rigorous, tough school, it, life didn't throw it at me. They said, hey, go to this school. It had an early entry of engineering. I was able to kind of form and influence it. And it was in the tech belt in Illinois. We're surrounded by all the tech companies. So if you know where U of I and Champaign is, it's like down south. There's like nothing around it. I was in the middle of all the tech. And I thought that you know the path threw me a curveball, but it ended up to be, I think, something great because I actually graduated with an electrical engineering degree. I know I have friends that went to U of I Wanted to be engineers, never ended up becoming an engineer because of the school. And I just think that's absolutely wrong. I mean, if you have a passion, don't let a school stop you from doing it. And so that's definitely a lesson learned there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just super rigorous. You know, engineering, you know, it's very competitive and as it should be, you know, they're literally the people that are building um, our future. But um, it is, it is wild how school um, does deter people from um, pursuing the things they want. Now, um, Shout out Chloe, uh, my sister. You know she's going to UCI in the fall of 2023. Um, now, I am currently not enrolled in school, and you know it's it's always an interesting conversation to have with people about schooling and everything. Because as a as, as an Asian American, it's almost like instilled that to go to school is the path. Um, now, Dad, maybe if you can spill some um, some light and some of your uh, some of your opinions on some of this stuff, but. Um, there was a point where, you know, Chloe, a very intelligent girl, very ambitious. Um, but there was a point where we were considering, we were, school was almost not even an option. Not an option, but more like it was, we weren't even considering it at one point. Yeah. Um, what, for all the kids that are teetering on that point of whether they should, they, they should go to school or not, um, what are some of your opinions on school and where people should head in that direction? Okay. So let me preface this as continual education is a must. But it doesn't have to come from school. It doesn't come to have to from a formal college or university. But you always have to learn. There's so much to learn out there until they can download all this information in our heads, which may happen sometime soon. <laughs> you got to continue learning. Read, listen, pay attention, and really be curious. I mean, that is absolutely the key to, to just be able to fit in this world. That said, I think the school system is broken. I think a lot of the colleges here are way too expensive. Um, you're going to get in debt, right? Let's say a couple hundred thousand dollars and then you get a job or you may not even get a job and you have to be burdened by that. It doesn't make any sense to me. So I consider this like, hey, instead of spending that money, start a franchise. You know, you're going to learn business by just jumping right into it. 
I don't know if you, you've, I think I told you about the Thiel Fellowship, right? Mm-hmm. To be a Thiel Fellow, they say, hey, yes, congratulations, you got into Harvard. Here's a hundred grand, become a Thiel Fellow, start working. And drop that, out, drop just out. Just drop out, so, drop okay. out, yeah, drop, drop out. out and start working. Yep, and start working. So, because I think it's, I think there's a, a lot of different ways you can learn and not necessarily having a degree is the only, only way. So, um, but I changed, I, you know, after COVID that, and seeing where this world's at, which I have no idea really exactly where we're going to go. Maybe it's good to just get into a bubble of college, get education, live that college bubble. And when I say it's a bubble, it's like, yeah, yeah, no one knows what the world's going to be and you won't be affected as a college student. So enjoy that. And then maybe after you're done, that's really, that's That's really why we we push for it. Yeah, definitely. um, I have this conversation all the time with, um, with my dad and then as well as some of my people that my friends that are in business, but yeah, definitely soon. um, I mean, if the bubble hasn't popped, it's going to pop soon. So it's like, we're getting towards that point where it's almost, yeah, getting in school gives you a chance to isolate yourself for a little bit from the real world for about four years and then hopefully that passes over. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's always interesting to hear from you know people that have attended college, people that are still going to college, what their opinions are, but I think that's a great way to look at it. Though. Yeah. After I graduated, I worked for a big company yeah. and the big company is Motorola. It was the right, right. biggest and best company maybe around the world at that time. We were producing, I worked at the subscriber division, which is the handsets, which is the phones. We were it's like printing cash. I mean, we sure. were just we were just making so much money, and it was it was the comfort of and seeing that business just get bigger and bigger, and knowing you'll always have a job because they all value engineers there. That was that was a lot of safety in there, um, and I think it's important to note because it's kind of like when you work for a big company and it's established. One of the things that you don't have is fear fear of right. Losing it, like not having a job and fear. I think that's a great big motivator. Um, it, it's a demotivator and motivator of something you have to kind of really always take on when you decide to start a business. Right. So I never, I didn't realize that. It's, you know, you don't know what you're afraid of until something, until you actually see it or it faces you. Right. And so, I yeah. think so. I, that's a great point. You don't have the fear of losing a job, and so you have that safety. Um, but you also, um, I think a biggest part of it too is that you also, you sacrifice that you sacrifice your freedom for some of the safety. Like for example, um, you were working overtime, right? You were working, how many hours a week were you working? 60, 75 hours yeah, so a week. Entire life was pretty much based around work, right? And so yeah. showing up at an office or showing up, was it an office or a factory? It was, it was, it was an office house. attached to a manufacturing place. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So we were so busy. We were there. Long nights, but you made you made really good money really, during the time. Paid us overtime. Yeah, so yeah, raking it in for yeah. sure, especially during the uh, the nineties, right? The eighties, nineties. This is in the the nineties, the mid nineties. Yeah, making more money than I could spend. Trust yeah. me, I tried. I tried, <laughs> tried beating it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the reality. But you know, like I think that yeah, engineers were in such high demand, especially because people were trying to make. I mean, they're always in high demand. So. Um, you know, gives you an opportunity to just really excel in that industry. Um, and then from Motorola, um, how long were we at Motorola for? Probably almost seven years, eight years. Wow. Yeah. Gotcha. And then after Motorola, that's when you tra- started to transition into. Yeah. So here's Motorola. what happened. So I didn't. Motorola, I mean, I jumped in when it was like growing and then it's peak. And then you, and I could see. 
And that was interesting. Okay, so it was a great time to get and be an engineer at a, one of the best companies at that time in the world, really, right. to be part of. But you can just see the arrogance a little bit of the of the culture there, where all we were making. I know I date, outdate probably almost your audience, but cell phones used to run on analog. So think of it right. as record players versus your digital music, right? right? So we were on a record player system, and all our all our customers wanted digital, and we were ignoring them. And you could see that. And immediately I said, you know, this is not going to go well. And um, luckily I started looking and I got recruited to kind of start a consulting practice with a couple guys. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of when I jumped into a little bit more of a small company culture. Gotcha. That's actually such an interesting story too. Um, you know, people outgrow their, business, their, their jobs, but also you could tell that where you were, they weren't innovating. They weren't upgrading their, they weren't continuing... Um, Sorry, I'm blanking. They weren't. Um, they weren't constantly innovating their business. They were. Uh, they're staying in one place. I remember you sitting they, at a conversation yeah, with. I mean, um, your CFO, the, president, the, the president. president of the subscriber group. I was invited to dinner, and I, I brought up the whole. And you can see this on the internet, and I don't mind sharing with the folks because this is like oh, almost. It's almost like folklore, but this is absolutely true. Um, I was designing and building smaller and smaller phones, like a size of a. I don't know if you were like a Wrigley stick gum, pack of gum. I mean, it was really small. Like you would lose it like how, really like, easily. If I were to compare it to my phone right now, like it's like a 10, 10% of 10 your phone. 10% of the size. Yeah, all analog. And they just saw it smaller and smaller phones. Because, you know, we went back to the beginning when we were literally, it was a, it's called a brick phone. It was the size of a brick. Jesus. So as we were innovating and getting smaller and smaller, people wanted more and more of our phones. So where, but it had to end. I mean, how far do you want to go? And so we wanted to shift to digital but he wanted to keep going smaller analog phones. And just his whole attitude about customers don't know what they want, right? We know what yeah. they want. And that's, that's another thing. You, you know, customers are your customers. If you don't listen, you know, you just soon won't have any customers. That's like a great way. That you, can, you, can, you can totally apply that to music as well. You oh, know, yeah. like you make a song and no one's listening. No one's listening oh, to it. You, can, you can say that you're innovative. You can say that you're ahead of your time, whatever. But if no one's listening to it, then, you know, they know what they want, right? Customers know exactly what they want. We talk about the DJs, right? You play a set and you see no one on the dance floor. I'm like, yeah, my customers aren't like doing what I'm putting. <laughs> yeah. You got to change. They don't know what they want. <laughs> yeah. I know, yeah, I know exactly. what's good. They don't know what's right. good. Right. Yeah, that's such a poor mindset, a very poor mindset <laughs> right. to have. Um, right. But obviously you've moved on um, long yeah. since then. And so more of the story, I think always keep innovating, always trust your audience, trust the people that are listening to you um, and you know, take everything with a grain of salt, but you know, like yeah, going. because you will have competitors in music and art. You'll always have people that want to you know, copy you and follow you. Wow. And we had one little company that we didn't even pay attention to back then. And the company is called Nokia. <laughs> Everyone knows them <laughs> yeah. now, even though they're gone a little bit yeah. too, but they were nothing. And then we were building just analog phones and they kicked our butt. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I left. I left by then. And so. Got you. Yeah. yeah. And then that's when you started doing the. Uh, Consulting, right? Did you want to do you want to dive into that? I as do well? a little bit because sure. it's uh, consulting is also because this was my entryway to working with a small company. But the two of my partners, they knew how to already build it. They dealt with all the issues of starting a company. They already had it formed. They had all the legal protection. I didn't do any of that. So, but even though, again, this is me looking back. I didn't really know that you even had to do that, like protect yourself and get trademarks and blah blah blah. Right. So, I just went in with already an existing structure. Like so, when anyone's starting, which I had to do later on, you have to know that there's this foundation you have to build. So anyway, so I went in, 
consulting is so much different than working for a big company, but you work, I was consulting big companies. And it adds a lot of pressure to us because they, as a consultant, they're paying you a lot of money per hour and you have to deliver, right. which I didn't mind, but it was uh, what's nice about consulting is when you're done with the project, you move on. So you're right. not stuck at one place all the time. I really like that about consulting. You just, it's project-based and then you kind of move on. Exactly. How long, how long were you working on projects for? Like, are we talking months? Projects. Years? So I would see my role would be to win the project. So me as a, like a partner, that you know, I had to go and sell, right. win, implement at least a team, and then I can, walk, I can jump off and, do, and then do it again. And so then we would have projects for luckily, months and years. You know, we would just build a team. Got you. Yeah. That, would, that, would pretty much make, that would pretty much mean that you had a job for about a year. That yeah, kind of that yeah. and the way, you're right. Any, any other consultants under you, it's like a, it's a traditional pyramid scheme. You, you bring on other consultants, you charge them with a high rate, but you pay them a certain rate and you take a skim off of that. And the bigger underneath you make, you make more money. So we were making, you know, we grew that company pretty big and we had some really large clients. So it was a, Right, right. Yeah. One of those clients being um, the, the, the client that made you decide to start your company, right? Uh, Capitanet back in 2002. Is well, the first one, the one that really changed was I, I won a, a project for, with United Airlines and doing a really a lot of good work for them. Um, I had a team over there. And what happened, basically 11 days after you were born, 9-11. Yeah. So that was an event... Unlike any other in my whole career that changed the world. Huge. But Insane. Until COVID. <laughs> so, yeah, 20, right. 20 some years, years later. later COVID. So yeah. 9-11 was such a big shock. And again, I, my biggest customer. I had a bunch of people in there. And it was, it was, it was, it was changing. So that was the impetus of, I, you know, we was hard to find work. It was hard to find. We had to close up all our stuff we were doing with them. And I said, you know what? I'm tired of working for every hour Getting paid for every hour I work. I want to build something that has residual, that has recurring revenue, where I don't have to actually work to make money. Sure. That, you know, that's the dream, right? Recurring revenue. Right. And so that was kind of like the impetus of, of starting uh, a new yeah, company. Totally. Yeah. That's. I think that's a lot of people's. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people. Pretty much all my audience right now is probably listening. You know, like I said, they're probably commuting to work. They're probably commuting to their job, and they all are. Most of them that are listening are probably really motivated or really want to start, uh, take that next big step um, to start in their own thing, to not get paid by the hour, to have something that has residual. Think about the royalties and the, the music stuff that you guys yeah, can make exactly. and just the money coming in. Yeah, that's yeah, no, it's huge. That's it's a huge. dream. It's, it's massive. Yeah. Um, so what, what's the biggest difference between, um, I think we already touched on this a little bit more, but are there any really big key differences between working for a big company and starting your own? Yeah, I think like I said, the first one, and it drives everything, and it's me reflecting on the past, is absolutely fear. Yeah, Like when, when you work for a big company, you don't have that fear, but when you work with a, your own company, my gosh, it's fear of, every, fear of failing, fear of putting food on the table, fear of disappointing customers, fear of not getting customers, fear of making payroll, not making payroll. And you'll have that fear for the rest of your entrepreneurial life. What this is, is you need to manage it. You need to help it. You drive you to do the stuff that you do so that one day that fear is gone. And that fear is gone is when you make it big enough where, where they can't take that away from you anymore. Right. So that's the biggest, I think that's huge. Um, but then, because everything else derives from like, you know, work for a big company, 
You're not working only when you really, really want to work. There's a whole team around you. Your value, you know, your valuations are pretty easy. Just you know, show up and do your job. It's people I see. It's there. It's it's stable, and then they focus more on the personal life, and you know, making you know that they have a much better balance when it comes to you know life and work versus sure. when you're an entrepreneur. Sure, no, right? for sure, yeah, like yeah, that's. I feel like as you become an entrepreneur, those lines kind of get blurred sometimes as far as where things start and end. When you first started um, Cap Connect, um, what? How many hours were you working initially like when you first started? So you know, Cap Connect. Had no money, right? No revenue, right. and it's like everyone, right? So I had to do kind of a day job, which was consulting. So I was actually still consulting, still consulting bringing in money into the company, and then bringing in employees to help develop our product. And our first product was developing a credit card system inside taxis, That's right? Inside uh, taxis in Chicago, and uh, um, so yes, so that's that was. That was a lot of work because not only am I consulting on it during the day, then I come at night and see how the guys are doing, and then just rinse and repeat every day until we had a product that can start generating us money. And there was a point where I remember I'm like, oh, I don't have to consult anymore. I can now afford to start working only on Cab Connect, and that's when we started actually growing. How about then? So, how many hours do you think roughly in the beginning, and then and then slowly once you're able to stop consulting? How often were you working then? When I was full time on this, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking maybe six days a week for sure, mm-hmm. making you know ten to twelve hours. Gotcha. But see, I had, I had a luxury of knowing how to do development offshore. So at gotcha. Motorola, I managed an offshore team. So when we're not developing here, we're doing development offshore. Right. And we call it follow the sun. Mm-hmm. Literally, the sun never sets on Cap Connect. We are literally developing all the time, right. twenty four hours a day. And that's tough. It's, it's actually kind of hard to do. And I learned it at Motorola. It was one of the skill sets I brought. And that's what we do today. We follow the sun development. And that's how a small company like ours can make some really big impact. Right, yeah. Just um, yeah, having people all over the world help you out. That's, you know, obviously, the company is pretty much just as old as I am. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so I've, there really hasn't really been a world where I haven't lived in where Cap Connect Woodley wasn't a big part of our lives. I've met a lot of your employees, been to the offices, um, and it's been pretty crazy just to see the progression and to see how things have headed, even though for a while I was kind of uneducated on what you guys did. But as I've grown up and I've met your team and I've seen the people that we work around, it's pretty crazy the things that you've built, that you and your team have built. So um, it's clear that you've had, you have a lot of experience. Um, like I said, um, Captain Neck turns 21 this year, right? Or pretty, right? Zoom? Yeah. Captain yeah. will be old enough. 21 December. Yeah. December 5th. We'll be old enough to drink. (laughs) Now, um, it's a pretty seasoned company. Now, but what are some common things that people forget when starting their own brand or business? So, just going through what you just commented kind of is a good segue to to explain that. So, when I grew up, they said one out of ten businesses will succeed. So nine out of ten will fail. Oh man! And out of the ones that succeed. Nine of those tens will fail. So it's like, it's just a really hard to succeed in a startup. It's so discouraging. So there, out of a hundred yeah. businesses, one will be like one successful. will succeed, and, and 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 that's the first year, right? So the first year is the tough one. Can you can you survive the first year? Right. And then when you pass that, and it's a little bit more better, probably you'll survive the second year, and it gets better. But once you're at year five. You've made it actually. It's it's just a really strange number, right? And because 
I remember when we turned five, mm-hmm. we just, that's the point where we were getting more contracts. Because they'll ask you when you apply in for loans and when you, you bid for contracts, they're going to ask you how long you've been around. And I can now see five years. They're like, well, okay, you have staying, you have staying powers. Right. You know? So I think that's, that's kind of important to, um, to kind of get through. But that first year, very, very tough. Yeah, I can imagine that's also for artists, right? When you're trying to do something full, that's why if you're trying to do something full time on your first year. Um, and you can't make it through. It's going to make it through. And I think, I think I want to talk about there's, there's really three things you need to start a company or start a career, in the, right? There's sure. really three things. Sure. You have to have knowledge and talent, right? right. Knowledge and talent. You have to have that because if you don't, then, but see, there's a lot of people that believe they have knowledge and they have talent. And that's something that, that's tough. You got to check tough. your ego. You check, yeah, you got to check, check your, your ego, ego, but you have to have knowledge and talent. Then you have to have capital. And, you know, you have to have money. Either it's a rich uncle, right? <laughs> Someone that can give you money. Or like most of us, you're hustling on the side. Like I told you, I had to consult for a while to right. generate the capital to be able to build this. But there was something they had to do. And then absolutely, you have to, have a network. And that network effect is even bigger these days. It's a little easier in some ways. It's harder in some ways, but you know, we never had social media when we were in our age. And so we really built a network by people you met, people you know, going to networking sessions, going to events. It's similar here, but I think it's, it's about that network that will, you can almost not be as talented and not be as knowledgeable in your product, but have a really strong network and capital and you can succeed. So that network is, is yeah. pretty, pretty important. Gotcha. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you definitely, it's almost like the three pillars of business for sure. Um, yeah, knowledge yeah. and talent, capital, and a network. And I think those three pillars along with good marketing, good branding, consistency, you know, you can, you'll be able to, uh, um, you'll, you'll make it. But I think it's, I think the biggest, yeah, I think I totally agree with you. The biggest thing that deters people is time. Um, I remember um, we've had this conversation before. Um, where I think it was, was it J Cal or someone that said that um, when starting a podcast and when starting something like this, some long form content that for some reason, like, like how you said five years for a business was roughly the sweet spot. Episode 50 was the sweet spot for podcasts. And to me, when I first started and when I first heard that at first, it was a little bit daunting. Like, man, that's 50. If I post one a week, that's about a year. That's what feel, that feels like a long time. Like, you know, I don't know if I want to wait that long, but um, it was all, but I think that's something, the biggest thing and the biggest downfall of my generation is that we want things so fast and we want things now and we want, you yeah. know, we don't want to wait. It's not necessarily that we don't want to work for it, but we just don't want to wait for it. Don't wait. You know, yeah. um, it's hard for us to do our time. Imagine um, starting a company, you have to wait five years oh, and work on it. <laughs> oh, to, but it is, I mean, I'm telling you on your way to 50, Something's gonna press like holy cow. Yeah, something right? clicks. Something clicks. Yeah. You interview yeah. someone. You know, it's you know, it's really great because most of the time I was just talking to shout out Jay Bud. I was just talking to him because he was saying that like same thing that my dad was saying that um, a lot of or not on this interview, but in general, my dad always says this. A lot of these people, this is their first time ever getting interviewed. You know, like a lot of the artists that I've ever interviewed, it's a lot of their first interviews and. By the time, maybe it's by the time I get to 50, I've interviewed enough people to where one of those people has taken off or I've taken off or I've, you know, something has gone viral enough for people to really want to tune in and listen. So um, I think, yeah, it's really, I think it's really important to know that, you know, even when my dad was first starting his business, he's working six days a week, grinding 10, 12 hours a day, that sometimes all you can do right now is just put your head down and grind, put your head down and just go. 
um, I think that's really important to, to take note of. Yep. Do the work. Put in the work. Put in the time. Awesome, Dad. So, um, Cap Connect, obviously. I've known Cap Connect literally since I was born. We're basically brothers at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you and back in, I want to say, was it 2017, um, you acquired a another company, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that fly, company was Flywheel Tech, correct? Yep. That company was already established. Or not established. It was already mm-hmm. existing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what was that process like for you as far as just, if you want to just touch on that just a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, at this point, 2017, I've been around 15 years, basically in the ground transportation space, know everyone in the country. I mean, it's just pretty well established, right? That's what happens when you put in the work and you're in the same niche. You just tend to start to know everyone, right? Yeah, and so start to recognize you. You start to recognize you. So in 2017, well, even back up. So Uber, right? And I, I tell you, you know, if you can imagine I'm doing credit card processing for taxis, Uber made a big impact to our industry, Huge. right? Yes. They, they basically tried to make cab, cabs irrelevant. Right. Um, long, long story. I could talk about that all day long. But so when Flywheel came out, these guys were a venture-backed company, meaning they were, they were funded by venture capitalists, millions of dollars. Uh, they put in some really good tech on trying to compete with Uber. Um, but it's like putting, you know, if they would, put, if they would raise $10 million, Uber would raise... 100 million, right? So it was, it was not even, it was bringing a, a knife to a gunfight. It just it wasn't fair when it comes to all yeah, that money. It was, so. dropping, it was dropping the bucket for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Flywheel, you know, just didn't, wasn't going to make it. And it went up basically for auction. And I was able to uh, acquire it, which was an interesting process on its own. Never did it before. And it was, uh, it was very, 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 very cool. I really enjoyed it. I really yeah. enjoyed totally, that totally. process. Yeah, I remember when that happened. There was articles about you acquiring yeah. it. It was, it was a crazy, a crazy experience. Yeah. Um. So yeah, since then you've been, um, you've been with Valuable for about six years now. Um. I, I was looking at your LinkedIn page actually to try to figure out when that was. Yeah. Six years and six months, I think it was. Now, um, now with getting something like that, and I, I guess we can relate this with Flywheel as well and with Capcom as well. Um. And what's the process of building a brand and building um, something that's well-known and respected within your industry? So we're not, I don't want to ever say we're good marketers because we're not. We're, you know, we're technologists and I think that's a big downfall for us, for us. But with that said, I do know what we had to do, what we have to do. It just takes, it does take a team and it does take a lot of resources and money. But at the end of the day, the way we keep going and keep, Growing is just make sure we we satisfy our customers, right? That's something that is it's marketing in its own. So if we can make sure that our fleets and our drivers can um, can operate in the fastest and has the best technology to do so that would delight the customer. That's how we continue to succeed. So our our, our true customers, our direct customers, our fleets and drivers, and then and the city, we satisfy those. Uh, then, then their customers, which are the, the, the riding public, will be satisfied too. So that's kind of how we've, we've, we've been able to sustain our growth. But we know that if we, we had the resources and the team to throw marketing at this, and we will here you know, relatively soon, uh, we think we can, we can grow the business. Right, totally, yeah. I mean, and I feel like that just applies to you know, every industry. We talked about your customers and we talked about people that your audience in, in the music sense, you got to, you got to appeal to them and you got to make sure that they're satisfied because those are the people that are going to be putting money in your pockets. That's right. So awesome. Um, 
Yeah, and it's it's easier said than done for sure. But um, which actually, I know you you mentioned a team that's gonna it takes a team, it takes a village to do all this. Um, what are some of your strategies? You know, being in the business and the industry and business in general for so long, what have been some of your strategies in creating a synchronized and cohesive team that works with them? Everyone works with everybody. You know, you have people overseas. What's been your, some of your strategies in creating these teams to make sure that the job gets done? So we've always I built Cab Connect. <laughs> To be a remote company, meaning we, because our customers are all over the world, I didn't want to have to be tied down to like a, a headquarters and an office. Even though we do have an office, we have a place that we can all congregate. But it was really you can work from anywhere. You can open up a block office in your home, and that was kind of a foreign concept if you think about it, back in two thousand two. Yeah, and then during COVID, everyone did it. Right? Everyone too. but that's like twenty years later though. Yeah, twenty know? years later, we were already there. We had video conferencing. We had remote tools, and it really is about the tools you use. I'm a, a very tool tool oriented per person. I we subscribe to a lot of tools um, to make our work easier, um, and that's kind of the kind of the key piece. You need to be able to keep communication flow in, because a lot of what we do has is very detailed, and so everything we have to you have to make sure it's all well documented. And you pass along information to different groups, and then they pass along to different groups, and you have to have you can't. You can't really do that through email. You can't really do that through Slack. It just it gets unwieldy. So I think that the different tools you use, they're really important. And and there's you know, and there's never one tool unfortunately that does everything yet. But there's some stuff, some tools that do a lot. So you just have to know which ones to use. Totally. Yeah. I think. Um, no. Yeah. Definitely. The tools that you've showed me are really really crazy, and hopefully we will get to those in a bit. Um, but I think a tool is only as strong as the person who uses it. So as long as you, you know, the tools are there, but you have to use them. You have to use them and you have to use them properly. Um, and yeah, then I, I imagine, I imagine that's kind of, that might be tricky with the whole team, you know, like with a big, you know, I'm sure you have a, a pretty big staff. I mean, even if you do 10 to 12 people, I, I imagine that's pretty difficult to get everyone on the same page. It is. It is. Absolutely. Um, you know, again, the tools make it easier. I you can't even imagine if you didn't have anything, it'd be it'd be very difficult. All right, totally. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, Dad. Um, so yeah, I mean, and for everyone that wanted to know about my dad's story, that was it. Obviously, he's a very um, educated. I, I really look up to my dad. So um, for him to come on and spill some of his wisdom with you guys, or just show some of his experience, um, it's pretty. Um, you know, just so you know who, you're, who we're talking about right now. So let's start to get into some of the um, more music and just um, business and music orient, uh, oriented parts of the segment today. Um, let's talk about something that we've really been in the last, I want to say six to eight months, we've really been diving deep into, and that's AI, um, artificial intelligence, in business and in music. Um, you know, AI obviously has been taking over the world recently, um, ChatGPT. Um, there's a bunch of AI programs in music, business, etc. Um, and my dad has really been um, really been pushing me to be on the forefront of a lot of this new innovation. Um, so, real quick, Dad, why don't you explain um, why you think what what is so fascinating about AI and where do you think it's going to be headed? Uh, where do you think what role do you think it's going to play uh, within the next year or two? So, uh, you know, again, being over fifty, right? So I was able to kind of see. It's interesting. I've been able to see the world change a lot, right? I mean, if you remember growing up, we had no cell phones, we had no no modems, like no no internet, sure. and have all that power right now. So I see two. If you just bubble it up all the way to the highest level, 
two revolutionary services came out of the 50 years I've been around. One's the internet. That's probably the biggest. And then you had mobile. So basically, though, mobile brought the internet into your hands. Right. And so this third one, that's probably bigger than all of them, but it depends on, it's so dependent on the internet and on mobile and data, right, is AI. And this is going to be the groundbreaking thing that that's going to be, there are going to be things built on the shoulder of AI that we can't even think of because it's, it's, it just can solve so many problems. It can create a bunch of problems, but it can certainly progress the human race so much further than we could ever do ourselves. Sure. And, uh, um, and, how it, and, and it's going to affect every industry, including music, including art. And, uh, and I think it's really important to kind of have this topic so everyone kind of understands AI, not afraid of it, even though there's a lot of things to be afraid of it, but there's not much you can do. <laughs> you have to just believe that our leaders will figure that out, right? Yeah. And just trust it and then yeah. just take advantage okay. of it. Right. Do not be on the side of history where you think AI is going to be gone and everyone should just outlaw it because that's the wrong side of history. Be, yeah. on the, be on the side that you just embrace it and take advantage of it and, and you actually gain what we're, everyone's calling the super superhuman powers, right? That's what AI will give you. Oh, it truly is. I mean, you just look at the capabilities, even if it, in its early stages, it's so much more comprehensive than any search engine than any other resource that I've ever used, you know, ever. Um, and it's only going to get better. It's getting better by the day, you know? And so people are constantly innovating. So it's like, yeah, you know, don't get left behind, you know, don't get left behind in something that's going to change the world. Now, um, how can I, as a musician and an entrepreneur, start to integrate AI into just my workflow in general? So, since I'm not in the artistic side of the business, I think, but I think this process can relate to anything you do. Sure. It's how do you incorporate AI into whatever you're doing, right? So, if uh, one of the first things I do when I get up in the morning and start my day is, you know, I have a, I have a set of tasks I have to do. And if there's anything in there I need a little bit more clarity in, I ask AI. I just try to get an understanding of what, what, because it's basically a summation of what I want. I don't have to go click on any blue link and kind of go down a rabbit hole and figure out myself. AI basically can do that. So what I think in the music side is, I'm sure like you have writer's block or music block and you just need something to kind of generate you a spark. And there are tools, a real inspiration. inspiration. And there are absolutely tools of AI to can do it. You could even use the AI uh, to help you just create like the start of a sound. Like say, I want to, I want to mix this genre and this genre and just hear how that sounds. Yeah. And then from there, start iterating through. You know, use your talent and start taking, using that just to kick something off. Because it's always hard, like a blank page when you leave a writer or an email, it's sometimes hard to even start. And just AI is just going to be there to just kind of kick, kick, kick yeah, it off. Yeah, it'll kick it off. It'll give you a, a good, uh, a good foundation, and then yeah, it's not at the point right now where it can create, you know, a whole building. It'll give you a foundation, but then you have to start implementing the other elements uh, to make it into that full project. Um, do you have any off the top of your head, or maybe you haven't written down? But do you have any AI services that you could mention right now that would be beneficial for anyone to use? So. I want to. I don't want to promote anything just yet. I want us to, to kind of go through, and then maybe our next season yeah, we're going to sure. really have some. But like, sure, yeah. like I mean, Amper Music. I've been looking at a lot, and they seem to be a really good tool to generate music. Right. Um, but there's, there's just there is so many, and you we're talking thousands of AI tools, and it's going to. That's but not all of them are going to survive. Probably 
2%. So you, this is a little tricky on navigating the waters and which one's going to work because you got to look at the back, you know, from a business side. Like you jump into one tool and now that tool's gone because it didn't survive. And that's what you're going to see. Sucks because which would like, suck, yeah, right? You might really like that tool and it's gone. Yeah. So I think what we're going to do here, well, I'm going to help you. I'm going to tell you which ones are backed by good VCs, right. are funded well, have this chance to really could be the like the next Google of, of AI music. Right. No, totally. So, yeah. yeah. yeah definitely um, look out for um, some future AI-based uh, episodes in the future. Um, just talking about just some of the news going on. Um, but yeah, so it's it's the future. And then unfortunately, um, it's going to be here whether we like it or not. So you might as well jump on and you might as well use it and take and use it to your advantage um, and just take it by the reins and start. But like your previous your previous people in your interview, like, like I think Wally is the event planner imagine having an AI that would help manage that Huge. event like the logistics around it yeah. like know like which events are available during which best times the flights oh, that are huge. best to fly it would just organize that so you could best budget right, you better start with a budget and say what can I do with this money I have, I have you know $5,000 I want to throw this event what can I do and it will go and figure out what you can do with the 5000 it's just so hard to do that today it would literally Give you a bunch of different options yeah, as far as yeah. flight plans, hotel stays, yeah. events available, like venues. Available. That's crazy. Yeah. Because it has access to that database, right? Like it's able right. to search. Wow. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. That's such a crazy concept, you know, because that, that normally takes a team. That normally takes, normally a, team, takes a team. Lots of time contacting, yeah. but that could all be done in an instant just by some machine doing it and save you so much time. So, um, yeah, take advantage of it. Use it to your, you know, use it. We're going to have, I'm going to have a couple episodes more than a couple episodes coming soon in season two that we're going to be diving deep in some AI topics and getting you guys educated as well as myself so we can all stay up to date. All right, Dad. So, um, yeah, AI obviously huge. Um, let's move on to um, one of our last couple segments here, but pretty pretty big chunk of the episode though that I really want to focus on. And I normally call it tips and tricks, but really it's going to be like an advice panel right now. Um, I know that's a lot, like I said, a lot of people, like, like I said, I've been blessed to have a dad that's in the, that's very business oriented. He's not only is he business oriented, but he also supports me. And so that I feel like is already a really big leg up. Um, and I would really, that's, I'm glad that he's willing to come on here and share some of his um, ideas and his, uh, his knowledge with you guys. Um, just so I can spread that and make sure that everyone has access to it now. Um, so first and foremost, um, a big thing I know we we're talking about as far as longevity and time, What's been some of your uh, your ways to stay motivated when creating your business and um, you know through thick and thin? Yeah, no, that's is a great question. It's actually the key to success, right? And the way you do it is you have to break it. You have to break it down. You really got to know what you want. And I always said it. I'm, I'm very serious about this when you're setting goals. And setting goals is super important. And people think, hey, I want to be a rock star. You know, that's a goal. That's, that's not a goal. You know, maybe that's a dream, right? And that dream could easily be a nightmare, right? So, <laughs> yeah. but when you set a goal, and there's really three things I always say is a characteristic of a goal, right? You, it has to be specific, right. right? So you know exactly what you're trying to achieve. You have to be measurable. So at any time during the time you set the goal till you achieve it, you'd be able to measure and see where you're at. And then you have to bound it by time. Like you say, within you know the end of this year, I will achieve this goal. Because then you can just you know you can work and you you can work towards it. And there's other characteristics, but those are really the three main ones. And then how you stay motivated 
Again, this takes work, right? And you got to be willing to put in work, but you have to build a plan. And the plan is like, how am I going to achieve these goals, you know, in, in this time span that I have? And to be motivated is when you're it's sitting there, it's a post-it, it's something that you open up in your uh, computer, it's just right there on your screen, is that plan. And, the, and if you're good, if you get good at this, and not everyone starts out being good at it, you, it takes time and... Yeah. And you have to actually see results, and then uh, and then you'll be you'll understand that this is just a process, right? Sure. But when you start to follow this plan and the task, and knowing that if you achieve these small tasks, little by little, you're going to hit this goal. And then, and so when you do it once or twice, you realize this is the, this is it. This is the key. Right. But um, but that's how you stay motivated because you're going to be able to achieve that goal if you follow. It's like taking something that's really hard and breaking it up into all little smaller parts. Right. right. What's that saying? How many bites does it take to eat an elephant? How do you eat an elephant? Yeah, how do you eat one an elephant? bite at a time. One bite at a time. Yeah. And that's what you have to look at it as. It's like, you know, it's just going to take some grind and just you're going to have to go through it. And, and, and trust me, it's, it's tough to, to constantly want to do it, especially when the work's hard. Um, and that's why I feel like to stay motivated, you have to see, you can't, create some goals that are, are, are easy to achieve, <laughs> right? Start off with something a little bit easier, put in a short-term plan around it, hit the few steps, feel good about checking it off and achieving that goal, and then do it again. Uh, oh, for sure. That's such a, that's, that's exactly what it has to be. You know, I, you know, when I, I get going back to the 50 episode mark for the podcast, it's so daunting to look at that. But when I break it up into a few 15 episode seasons, yep. I'm like, Oh, this is doable. I, I can do 15 episodes. I can okay. do, um, and now, now that I've done it, now that I'm here at the season finale, I'm like, Oh, I could do this three more times. I can do it, you know, three, four more times. It's doesn't feel, and it, it, what's great is it doesn't feel like work, but it's also like, it's something that you have to be consistent with, um, and disciplined with. And I think that's ultimately when motivation fails, um, discipline kicks in. And that's when you, that's when the, the real get weaned out, the, the fake get weaned out, and that's when you can really see who's going to be successful. Um, so going off of that, it's going off to stay motivated. I did. I, I'm going to bounce around a little bit. And I do want to just talk about how um, we talked about a little bit before how when it comes to building a team that you use some tools um, to keep everyone on the same page. Now, what are some of your tips for staying organized? Hmm, that's good. So me, I've, I've I've used a program that I showed you, right, called Trello. Um, Trello is really just a framework that allows you to create projects and within the projects allows you to move tasks. It's called Kanban style. You write all your tasks on the left side and you move them along to the right until you see it it completed. It's a very, uh, it's a way people develop software. They think a feature and then they move it until they're done. I do it just regular tasks, you know, you know, so uh, just in the so I see my daunting on the left side. I see it moving throughout the week. When you say moving, like what does that mean? Like, so Trello allows you to create these cards, like based on a tool, to make different stages of your task. So like, we'll start off with these are my to dos. This is the one that's in progress. The next gotcha. one are blockers, meaning things are dependent on something else. Gotcha. And then completed. Really simple. Just so kind of when I'm ready to do a task, I'll put it to do. Uh, from a to-do to in in, uh, in progress, and then I work it, work it, work it, work it. Something blocked it, I'll just put blocked, and I'll move the next one. 
Oh, I see. Like you're, oh, it's depend. Oh, I see. That yeah. just just clicked. That it's depend. You're waiting on someone else. I'm waiting on something. Else. I'm a blocker is I'm waiting on something. Gotcha, else. Gotcha. Gotcha. Right. So, and then I got to try to keep it balanced because I get, get carried away where my to do list starts to go whacked out crazy because there's so many. Right. It actually demotivates you. You see it. I'm like, oh my god, that's just too daunting. So, but it is trying to take a task and move it along to the right. You'll feel good about checking it off. And you need that. You really need that. You need that success. You can't keep everything being blocked and just sitting there and to do so. You just be demotivated. So it is a, it is a mental site. You know, it takes a rigor, um, but it keeps everything organized. Uh, and you can do it for teams too. Trello is a team piece too. So we can see teams right. working through and assign tasks. So right. yeah, that's, that's huge. Um, yeah, that's my dad's been using Trello for. The longest time now, he has Team Nathan, Team Chloe, Team pretty much you know for all his kids, for all of his businesses, for all of his personal life, um, and it's really um, when it sounds like it sounds like it's been able to keep his life in order. Um, in the craziness that I know it is, it's been able to add some balance and some uh, some order to the chaos. So um, this is a great tip, yeah. Trello. Hopefully, um, hopefully a future sponsor for the feedback podcast. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. Okay. Um, Going back to my second point um, that I have just written on this outline, um, going off of staying organized. Um, obviously, of all my guests so far, Dad, you have the have had the longest career. Um, what's been some of your strategies as far as balancing work and life? Yeah, so like I said, this is this is tough as an entrepreneur. It's going to be tough as an artist. Oh, maybe. Well, I'll get to that part. But as a so, if you work in a big business. You have kind of your goals are usually far, like a year, and you're working on it. You have a lot of time. You know, like I was talking to my nephew, your cousin Justin. He works at Johnson Johnson. Shout out Justin. I asked what I asked what his you know deadlines are. So it's a year from now. I'm like, gosh, you know, mine's like tomorrow or the week. And so you're constantly, yeah, constantly going uh, with really tight deadlines. So when you do work for a big company, I felt like I can balance my personal life really well because you know you I, I joined a bowling league I remember and going out with friends it was just really fun right and you work and so a lot easier now when you're an entrepreneur it's tough and so you're working a lot of hours again that fear of, of losing of failing kind of drives you to keep working working and you typically stress your personal life like you're not there to help with the kids you're not there all the time and it can really be a stressful time in the family so I know that's just it's, no one's ever I think solved it until they got to a point where you made it big enough where now you can enjoy it. And so usually sure. that could be a, you know, a couple of decades, right? So it's tough. I don't know of a secret tip except in the art side, I feel like, and this might be this outside looking in, is that right. the stuff you're doing is the stuff you really enjoy. I mean, it's fun. And the friends you're making are in the industry and you're going out and sure. having a good time. And so I see like that's maybe a way to balance it, but maybe then your balance really it's just, hey, I just want to get away. I don't want you to want to be around that because it's always constantly, they're always constantly entertaining, right? right. Even in your personal side. Um, but it's hard. As an entrepreneur, uh, as an artist, I think it's going to be, that's going to be a tough one to do. I, I said, I, you know me, everywhere we go, I'm working. Everywhere right, we go, right, I'm working. Right, there right. is no... It is interesting though, because like, even though you're working, um, you, know, you still make the time to come out to these huge functions, you know, we are traveling, you know, we're in Vegas or in Tahoe, wherever we are, you know, we're, um, you always, uh, you make the time to, to really. Well, you uh, see, when I, when I pick up, you know, when I pick you guys up, 
always on the phone, right? I'm always yeah, on the true. phone. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. yeah, even when I'm coming in from the airport or wherever I am, always yeah. on the phone in meetings. But I think yeah. that's uh I mean, I think the biggest thing and it's it just ranges true for everything. You make people make time for the things yeah. that they want. Yeah. You know, you do, so, you do. I mean I instead right. of saying sorry I can't pick you up from the airport, I'll go. I'll just have my meeting on the road. Sure. Yeah. Totally, yeah. totally. So um, that's the biggest thing. Make time for the things you want. If you if you want to spend time with your family, you want to spend time with your significant other, or you want to spend time with your kids, make time. You know, don't you know? It's you. If you want to, you will. Yeah. So I think it's a great way to look at it. All right. Um, so this is a this is going to be a segment. This is gonna be, this is going to be a question that I know a lot of people may be going through. Um, so a little bit of a backstory while I ask this is because back when I was um, I was younger than my brother. I was in seventh grade and I was telling, I was in the same house that we're living in currently. And I was with my dad and my dad was washing dishes. I was on my phone and I put my phone down. And this is back when I was super into music. I was super into music. I was super into art. Um, the 2001 Dr. Dre album was super inspiring for me. Um, I was just starting to get into it and I was in the kitchen with my dad. He was cleaning dishes and I told him, dad, I know exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life. And my dad said, he stopped cleaning the dishes, turned off the water and looked to me. He said, all right, what, you know, and keep in mind, my dad has been like, before this has been like almost, you know, guiding me to be this next engineering major, you know, super smart. Always, you know, I was always very advanced in math because of him. And so when I told him I knew what I wanted to do, he looked at, he was super excited to hear. And then I told him that I wanted to be a rapper. (laughs) And then my dad said, what, like a, what be like a gift wrapper for Santa? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, hey, dad, no, I want to make music. And again, I was seventh grade and he was like, you know, Nate, be prepared to eat a lot of ramen. You know, he, well, he said at first, he said, do you have a plan? He said, yeah. what's your plan? And obviously seventh grade me, I did not have a plan. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I loved music. Um, obviously, you know, not a rapper anymore, but continued that love for music. And um, at first, like I said, my dad was, you know, I don't want to say disappointed, but he was shocked. But um, to my graciousness, he's been very supportive, probably one of my biggest supporters in my journey. Um, and I know that a lot of people and a lot of aspiring artists don't have that, um, don't, do not have that. A lot of them don't have that support. Now, I do want to ask my dad first, what was what was the reason that you were like, all right, maybe my kid can, might be able to do music. Oh, I want, when you brought that, when you told me that I didn't really know that you even rap. I had, honestly, I I know you have a heavy influence from your mom with music, right? And we tried to get you more involved with music, but we never, I never knew that you had any kind of talent when it came to anything in music. Cause I, I just, I guess I didn't hear it or what you were doing. So when I saw that junior year project, go to YouTube and search for ISM rap. <laughs> Do it right now. It's Friday. You know what? I'll link Post it. In. I'll link it. Post in the, the show, show notes. notes. <laughs> it was actually really good. I was blown away. I was like, oh man. Some background on that. So I, when I was in junior year, um, we had an end of the year project for my. English class, and they told us that we had to do a way to. Um, we learned about all these isms, Puritanism, um, you know, all pretty much all that. And they had us create a project, however we wanted to, to creatively to um, express these isms. And my group of friends and I decided that we wanted to make a song and a music video. 
And um, you know, my dad. I guess I, my dad. I guess would always see them coming over, and we'd always be playing music, you know, in in our little garage office. Um, but I guess it was never. We never really showed him. I guess he never really asked, but we never really showed him. Um, so when we got that, when we dropped that project, um, we actually got a hundred percent on that project, which we needed to get an A. And um, yeah, I guess that was the big turning point for um, some of the people around me. Yeah, for me, man, it was good. It was good. I still watch it today. But when I open up YouTube, it's like the first link. I don't remember, <laughs> and I'll play it. And I'll just yeah. fast forward to your parts because I think they're the best part. No bias <laughs> exactly. there, right? That's good. Right. So. So that was probably the big, big turning point. Um, and then, so that kind of just leads me to my next question. Um, how can aspiring artists and creatives convince their parents and the people that support them that what they're going to do is going to be successful? So every parent, right? Every parent wants the best for their kids, right? So they worry that whatever path they choose, it's a path that they're going to be able to survive and thrive, right? So, so just know that. I mean, every parent, every good parent for sure, wants that for their kids. And so I, th- I think having an honest relationship with them too is super important. So don't like hide what you're doing. I know you were honest with me and I didn't make it very easy for you to, to, to tell me. Um, but it is something that is really good because you want your, your parents, like you said, it's going to, you want them to be your, your biggest fan and support you through this. With that said, um, when you're really serious and I think some kids maybe are not mature enough yet to really think of it serious is like, you know, you can need to track your craft again as a business. And what does that mean again? Well, what is your goal? You know, what is, and how are you going to achieve those goals? Um, is it going to include education? Is it going to be you like just getting a job in that industry? You know, you have to have a plan if you, once you're ready to take commitment because you, by thinking it through, and you've thought it all out and you convince yourself you still want to do it, that'll be more than enough then to convince your parents, I think, to support you because you thought it through. Because most of the times parents think that, you, that kids just haven't thought it through enough and they'll discount it so quickly. So once you, right. you know, I think I saw a commercial where this kid threw up a PowerPoint you know, and then <laughs> she presented to their parents to do something. They're like, whoa, you know, it's like, it is kind of like that. You, you, you spend the time to think it through and, and you've done your job, you your analysis, then, then I think they'll take you seriously. I know I would. Right, for sure. Yeah. Um, what's what, what would be like a good outline for a plan? I know you said goal, and then what would be like a, so way, I start a off, way to get there? What's funny is I always start off. It's called a BHAG. I don't know if you ever heard of this term. It's called a big hairy ass goal, and it's not like the typical goal that has to be measurable. Blah, blah, blah. But it's like, what do you want? What's your dream? Right. I want to hear that. Right. So, so, but this BHAG is not measurable though, right? This is just, it doesn't have to be measurable. Right. It's like, I, I want to go to Mars. I want to be a rock star. I right. want to, you know, right. own my own record album. I want, I mean, you know, a label. Yeah. What's that big, big thing? And then sometimes that's your North Star. Right. That at the end of the day, when things are going bad, you look back at this BHAG um, and you see if you're, you're working towards it. I think that's a good start. You start there. And then from there, uh, in any business plan, you've done, You've done, because it's going to cost you. Remember, what you need knowledge and talent. You need capital and you need a network. Right. So what, what are those? I remember, shout out to Braden. He wanted to be a gamer. Yeah. I said, all right, tell me what, how much gamers make. Like, yeah. is that, can you make a living out of it? He went out and started researching that this guy makes this. He'd go, okay, is that top 1%? Yeah. 
You know, what is that? You know, so where's the top, like what's 80% of people are making, right? So you start to think of it and they go, okay, okay. So you did all that. It's like, well, what kind of budget do you need to get started? Like what tools do you need? And then how much is that? So you had to go and look and see, oh, I need a PC. I need all this stuff. You started just outlining it all. Just going through that process and learning it is more important to me, just like so he can kind of see it through and he never finished it. And this, he's not ready. Once right. he is ready, he will have all those pieces. Kind of like you. You started, you weren't ready to do your podcast. Right. You had to put all the help hand together and see what it would take. And now you're doing it. And yes. I think it's going to be great. No, it's huge. Um, yeah, I think a big part for sure as a kid is the maturity to be able to be there. Because yeah, right now, um, yeah, I I don't want to dog on Brandon, but yeah, he's definitely not ready. He's not ready to, um, and just like many kids, they're not ready to sit down and put in the work because it's not going to be instant, you know, and there's a chance it may fail. And that chance of it may failing is enough for them to not want to do it or rejection. They're getting rejected is enough. That fear of rejection is enough for them to not want to do it to where they'll just stop. Um, and I think that's kind of a big thing when it comes to just, especially in entrepreneurship is that everything in entrepreneurship and starting your own business and making your own history and making your own living is that there's going to be really big risk. There's risk. Um, and now are you willing to take that risk and are you not? You know, I think that's kind of the biggest um, thing to get over when it first starts to, you know, starting something big and starting something of your own. Um, yeah. And then going back to, you know, you need education, talent, um, capital and network. And I think that's a great, great place to start when it comes to creating a plan. And that's then, right. you know, well, awesome. Okay. So, Got to create a plan. Got to have a good uh, foundation, and got to be able to um, show your parents and show the people that you want to support you that you're willing to put in the work. Um, is, and then you're on your way to to having their support. Um, now, I guess we'll segue into um, this next point. Um, obviously, my dad, like I said before, my dad listens to every single episode um, of this podcast. Now, he's also a very avid podcast listener. Um, you know, he's pretty much the one that encouraged me to start the podcast. Um, now, what, Dad, what are some of your um, go-to podcasts to listen to as far as, um, like, what are some of the ones that you listen to to keep your business growing and to keep yourself uh, locked in with the newest information? So I, I do enjoy long-form podcasts like yours. You know, I, it's hard to do it when, you know, like when you're working. So I do it when I walk and work out. I, sure. I, I do enjoy it because I think you learn a lot by going through a long form content like this. I think podcasts are a way to do it. Um, the ones I like is all business related. So, sure, but I think sure. any entrepreneur or any startup should really listen to these. Exactly. Um, so this week in startups by Jake Hell, yes. Jason Calcanis, shout out Jake Hell. Yes, yes. <laughs> he, uh, he puts in a good one. He literally, he just goes, oh, it's mostly all tech, uh, but it has a lot of startup advice. Uh, he promotes a lot of startup tools. And it is something that I religiously listen to. It's, it's almost like an every day, every other day episode. So uh, it's really good. It's really good. It keeps you up to date. It's how I, I get a lot of my inspiration when it comes to AI. Um, but the one that's really been hitting, again, these are high level, very sophisticated podcasts. I, I consider it as uh, all in. Uh, these are four very well-to-do business guys that come from tech, but also has really, I think I share a lot of point of views uh, with them, but they uh, 
they really go at the highest level stuff, you know, politics, general yeah. biggest. Yeah, we're talking, we're talking, these guys macro. are multi-billionaires, very yeah. successful businessmen. Yeah. Um, what are the names again? Who? So Jamath, David Sachs, David Friedberg, and Jason Kelkans. Gotcha. Yeah, those are the four guys. They just became, I think at one point, the number one pod of all pods. Yeah, no. Um, but I would encourage once a week. It's on Friday. Uh, maybe it gets released late Friday. So I, I do a long walk on Saturday and I listen sure. to it. It's about an hour and a half. It's entertaining, but very informative. And uh, like I said, don't, it's a very influential podcast. Like I said, it hit number one for a while. It's top 10 for sure. And a lot of people listen to it. And what I like about them is they don't care about advertising or everything because they're all well off. <laughs> so they can say with their real opinion. They don't worry about getting canceled. And so they're saying what's up. And, and you know, like during COVID, they were like pro, pro vaccine. And they realize it's a sham and says, no, I wish I never did it. So they're, they're, they make mistakes, but at the same time, they, uh, they, they tell their own real opinion. And right. it's up to you to keep yourself accountable. And, yeah. 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 They have some really good. I, I listen to a few all in podcasts and it is really interesting. You know, you have four guys, four very educated guys all kind of going at it that some of them have conflicting views and they go oh, at yeah. it. They oh, go yeah. at it. Yeah. And they really talk about, um, you know, their opinions and they go out until there's, you know, there's a resolution, but um, what would you say? So you'd say like they're uh, like pretty tech and startup based. You would say like those, those two really good yeah. for those two. Yeah. They're all tech really. Which, sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you are still listening and you are wanting to start a business, those two podcasts this week and startups and all in definitely two podcasts that you should listen to, to further educate yourself on these matters. 100%. Awesome, Dad. Thanks. And then Joe Rogan. I'm Shout to out Joe Rogan, obviously. Rogan. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, by the time I'm big enough, hopefully yeah. he's still doing his podcast so that yeah. I can go on the show. Um, but yeah, Joe Rogan. <laughs> Shout out, obviously, great, great podcaster. Oh yeah, Beat Pack Podcast. Oh yeah, the Beat. Yeah, those, those are yeah, I kind of listen to those four. <laughs> Shout out Local Mom. Shout out Local <laughs> All right, all right, Dad. Um, yeah, that's pretty much. That's almost all I really had for um, as far as my end. Uh, we are getting towards the end of our show. Is there anything that you wanted to spill to the audience before we ended off here? Just uh, maybe last parting advice. I think this is the time of any time I've lived in where you can do what you want. Honestly, like the documentary. There's there's so many different paths as a creative and how to make generate money. And I'm, it, it's, it's amazing. So definitely the dreams can come true. Be smart about it. Get some build a good network, right? And, you know, uh, follow your dreams. I Honestly, I think this is something that uh, is the time. I think uh, it is a a decade for creators, for sure. For sure. It takes work, it takes dedication, um, and it takes time. But um, for those that are willing to put that in, you know, there's there's a lot at the end of the tunnel. So, yeah. That's awesome. Do you want to say anything about uh, Flywheel at all before we end it off here? Yeah, so Flywheel, it's on the App Store. It's on the Google Play stores. Download it. Maybe in the show notes, we'll put a promo code. Yeah, it's uh, so um, if, you're it is, in, if you're ever in San Francisco. It is a transportation app. We primarily use taxis. Uh, to It's basically like Uber, but using taxis. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, we're in San Francisco right now. We're going to be launching San Diego and LA probably in the next six months. So uh, yeah, download it and uh, yeah, take a flywheel. You know, yep. Next time you're at an event, maybe, yeah. maybe you're going to one of our events, take a flywheel there. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much, dad, for coming on the podcast. It's been a great one. Um, for everyone that's still listening, I appreciate you still listening and we'll see you guys in the next one. Loco and Papa Loco out. <laughs>